This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. We all know how critical visuals are to great filmmaking, especially here at No Film School. But my guest today and his project that we're going to talk about are truly an example of stunning visual achievement and how it helps tell a story. I'm George Gentleman, host of the No Film School podcast, this podcast you're listening to, and editor-in-chief at No Film School. And my guest today is Ben Davis, the cinematographer of The Banshees of Inisherin, along with a ton of other movies, including things like Doctor Strange and Cry Macho for Clint Eastwood and Avengers Age of Ultron. The King's Man, Captain Marvel, Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri, all kinds of different types of projects with different types of huge name directors. So his history and knowledge of the way this industry works and you achieve visual storytelling on all kinds of canvases is second to none, basically, these days. So it's a treat to have him talking to us about his process. But the real thing here with Banshees, if, if you haven't seen it, you should. And you can still listen to this interview because there are really no spoilers at all. It is just a visually stunning movie. And he does so much with natural light and the locations that they scouted and the place they went and discovering the place and allowing it to move them in their storytelling. So I see this interview as a great companion piece to the movie because what they accomplished here, they told a very simple story, which we always love, right? Because you can do so much with so little and that's always inspiring, but a very simple story and created such drama and humor and darkness and depth. And so much of that is communicated through the visual language and the way uh, Ben Davis's cinematography is just amazing in this film. So uh, you can see echoes of great films of past, but you can also see a totally different way of looking at visuals in, in Ireland, which is just gorgeous cinematography here. So it, with all that said, here we go. Uh, ben Davis, Banshees of Inishirin. Really excited to talk to you about this movie and just in general about your career. I guess okay. good place to start. You've shot all kinds of features, television. You've done a lot of different things. This feels like, you know, because Martin McDonough and the relationship to the stage, a, a very a far cry from, say, you know, Age of Ultron or Doctor Strange or Guardians of the Gate. So you've been on opposite ends, right? Just in talking about your approach when you get something like this. Uh, and you know it's going to be smaller, but but it's so visually stunning and important. How do you start putting together a plan compared to the big difference, the broadest canvases and the large scale of other things? Well, well, to be honest, the 
the plan is always the same. There's always, it's always about narrative. You know, what are you, it starts with the script and what are you trying to say? And I don't think that changes whether it's, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars or single figure, you know, right. a few million dollars. Um, I mean, with, with, with this film, I start, the ambition on this film was to keep it small. So we have a small cast, a small crew, so that we had some sort of flexibility and we could maneuver. That's what's nice about, that. that's what I enjoy about the difference in the big films or the smaller films, is the big films are a bit like a juggernaut you, you, or, a, or a sort of Greek ferry. You know, to turn it round in a small harbour, in a small environment is very difficult, where, you know, the smaller films you can maneuver. So on that note, are there a lot of things you're allowed to leave up to the moment, leave up to chance? Like, do you find yourself discovering anything at, in the process? Yeah. I mean, yeah, I think I think what you do is you go in. I mean, I, I could talk about the Banshees in particular. We went in with a very particular plan. We had storyboards for the entire film, but you always you're always open to change because that. The delight of filmmaking is, you know, what you chance upon the, in terms of what you're looking at, in terms of what the light may suddenly do, what the, particularly if you're a location film, what the weather may give you, but also, you know, what the actors might, you know, because you can sit there and plan all you like, but you don't have your cast there. When you have a, a very talented cast like we had on Banshees, you know, they're always going to bring something different. And so you, yeah. you, have, to, you have to make sure you're open to all of that. One of the things, yeah, one of the things you mentioned the talent in this cast and one of the things people are commenting on about the movie and writing about is how the visuals, your visuals, the score, the performances all echo some of these dark, humorous subtexts, like there's depth and and there's some kind of melding and matching where there are a lot of conversations about here's what we're doing, but here's kind of what we want to evoke. And was everybody constantly on the same page or were people finding things a little bit like, oh, that, that just aligns. Do you know what I mean? Like, was it like we're all kind of lockstep on what the subtext is here, what we're talking about with loneliness and masculinity mm. and, you know, all those things. Yeah, I, I think, I think it's different for every film. And this particular film, it was meticulously planned and all those sort of, there's a lot of nuance and there's a lot of stuff going on, subtext. And those were all discussed. And every, the great thing about this film, and, and you would think, isn't that the same for every film? Not necessarily. Um, everyone was making the same movie and mm. everyone was on board with it. You know, there, there's a lot of complexity and a lot of elaborate things go on. And maybe, you know, when you watch the film, like, I mean, as I've obviously done, and more than <laughs> once, you start to see, you know, when you watch it the first time, and it doesn't always come through, but all that complexity is there and the subtext is there. And it's a question of, you know, sort of knowing what that is uh, before you start. But you don't, with Martin's writing, it's kind of there. I mean, the idea of loneliness and isolation is obviously something that you try and then capture in the cinema. You know, we talked about how we capture that in the cinematography. So, yeah, yeah. Can you tell? Can you talk about that? Because there's some so many uh, great visual elements in the history of movies that capture ideas of isolation and loneliness and framing. And 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 I've read a couple things where we talked about like the searchers and the and the outdoors and the ocean and the colors mm. and. The, but I want to hear how you guys talked about it 
and how you painted the picture of loneliness that you do in this film visually. Well, the interesting thing about that is it, it, it's obviously, it's in the text, the idea of the loneliness, but then you think, you know, for me, my job is to sort of translate that into the imagery. You know, that's what I try and do. Now, Martin had boards for a lot of what happens in the film, but in terms of the sort of wider shots, the sort of trying to, the landscape, and trying to create that idea in the landscape, that was something that sort of we discovered when we got to the locations because you get to the locations and you, you can, it's there. You know, the idea, you, you know, Inish Moor where we shot on this sort of slab of rock with these walls surrounded by the Atlantic. So it's there. And when I got there, I mean, my, you know, it's hard for me to articulate it because I'm not a writer and I'm not a poet like Martin is, you know, but, but, but I can show you an imagery. I can, you, you I did. can explain <laughs> what I mean in imagery far yeah. easier than I can say it in words because that's what I do. But I understood it. As soon as I got to the island, the interesting thing was we did a lot of work before we got to the island. We were in quarantine. And when I got to the island, the script completely made sense to me. I have it, uh-huh. As soon as I spent time on the island, I, it all kind of just, Everything sort of slotted into place. Ah, that's what he's talking about in this script. That's what he's trying to show us, you know. So it all made sense when I got there. And then it was really yeah. just a question of how do I now, how do I show that in terms of cinematography? Yeah, that was something that we, we, you know, there was a lot of discussion between Martin and myself about. So this is the part where, like you said, you communicated through images and you really did. You know, so we have your images to see the communication, just like we had his okay, his words. Yeah. But I can only imagine being overwhelmed by all the options, all the visually stunning elements, all the angles. Like, there's so much. Like when you come to a place and you describe what you just did, like, oh, it's, I see it, I see it now. How did you and Martin, in your collaboration, start to make? The specific choices that have to, because like, for example, it seems like both characters too, right? Have a different wave of landscape. Like there's a different like visual world to them. And, and the, and, and that those choices, like it feels from the outside, like we, we live in 360 degrees, you know, we step off a plane and we look around, we're like, oh, this place is amazing. I see it. But then how do you start to pick the shots and the and the two dimensional images we're going to experience? You know, yeah, um, you're right in, in picking that. There is a visual language. There's a different visual language for each of the characters. About and particularly, you know, when we chose the locations where they live. You know, one of them is sort of open to the world. One is content with the world that he's in. One of them is not. Is almost well. It's content within the world he's in, but but it kind of has a different outlook on life. So that, those were very different approaches. I mean, getting back to the question, you know, I'm just trying to think of the question specifically and not sort of... Yeah, I know it's, it's, it's vague in general, um, but it's sort of like you get there, you said you see this world of, of all the things it, he's written, but, but how do you start to pick the like... This in is terms the, of choice, well, that, yeah. that, that you le- I left a lot of that to the editor. So I went out, you know, Martin and I, we had very specific ways we were going to handle the characters. But if I talk about the place itself, I went out, I had a camera in the back of I had a small car there. I had a camera in the back and I went out and shot every every day. I would if I wasn't working, I'd be out shooting. Every I'd be up at four in the morning going to photograph and I collect no. Um it was a way of me learning what was you know, what was gonna what 
how to sort of capture what that that I and if you, unless you've lived in an island, it's really hard to explain what it feels like. And so we captured a lot of it, and then really I just sort of tried to give the editor as much of it as I possibly could. And I kind of got the suspicion of this as I was going on. You know, when I look at the cut of the film, the bits that Martin uses of that are the ones that are tangible to what's happening in the film. So a lot of the shots that Martin's used, the landscapes have animals in mm. because there is this idea, there's this thematic thing in the film that the animals are sort of the silent witnesses to the humans' dysfunction. Yeah. Um, so, so, so a lot of the shots that Martin used are the animals, and the animals on the island were always in pairs. It's like a friend of mine yeah. used to have, I'm going to get distracted, a friend of mine used to keep have a pair of lovebirds. This was a long time ago. And one of them died. And within two days, the other one died. And just from heartbreak. So, so these animals all live in pairs on the island because they have to, because they're lonely, like the goats that are featured in that, the thing. That and, not you know, being that something you guys put. That was just happening because it feels like something no. that would have been by like, oh, we're going to have this motif, you know. No, that wasn't discussed. It's just what it was, you know, when we wow. were there. And I know like, Martin called me up one day and said, these two goats, we need to go. Are you filming tonight? <laughs> and I said, yeah, I'm filming tonight. I'm going out shooting tonight. And he said, let's go and shoot these goats because they're always together, like this pair of male goats that are always together. And, you know, they're like the boys. But imagine, yeah. you know, and, and I could only imagine if one of those goats had been taken away or had fallen ill or something had happened to it, the heart that one goat left on his own. I mean, the idea of it is heartbreaking to me now when I think of those two goats. So, you know, Matt, so that's what I say. There's so many layers of so much subtext to the, the, so the shot choices that are in there are there for a very specific reason. But that's dealing with the landscapes and the place because the place is a, is a, almost a character in the film, the island yeah. where they, and it kind of explains where they are because there's a, a wonderful beauty to it, but there's also an isolation and a melancholy to that environment. You know, it's achingly beautiful. Do you know what I mean? You know that there's that expression, achingly beautiful. I kind of see it with that place. It's it's kind of, and you know, and their story is kind of achingly beautiful. It's amazing. You can create spectacle so many ways, but part of the spectacle of this film is that space. Is just the way that space comes to us and experiencing it. And like you said, you can't experience it unless you're there, but you guys go on location and, and you bring it to us. I'm, I'm curious about the way that you, you talked about shooting, waking up in the morning, taking a camera, taking pictures, I assume. You know, what, what did you take them on? And did you try to do something where you'd go at all times of day to get a sense yeah. of what the light does? And, and Ooh, what lenses yeah. would do and all of that. Can you tell us no, about I, that I, part? This was, a, this was a film camera I had with me. I, I okay. had a film camera I shot on film where I shot on, I had a black magic Ursus, so I shot moving images. And yeah. I would shoot. No, I was as interested in the bad weather as the good because they all had a different, you know, there were various scenes on the film that we wanted to play in bad weather and other scenes that we wanted to play in. In good weather, you know, sometimes that that weather was working against what was happening, and sometimes it was working with it. For instance, Siobhan leaving the island is in this beautiful sunrise. The opening of the film, you know, where we wanted optimism, did we? You know, where we felt there was some sort of optimistic, <laughs> no, yeah. for the first, like the first minute, 
<laughs> yeah, right. I was going to say. <laughs> that was about I didn't it. Really... <laughs> There's not much optimism after that point. But no, I suppose it's also the morning he wakes up and he thinks, oh, it's April the 1st. It's all just a, some bad joke. There's, you know, we wanted that to have a, a good weather right. because it was kind of like just to throw you in a way. But, but so there were certain decisions based around, around that, <laughs> around those things. Yeah. Did that but, question? I kind of yeah. Brought. I mean, what you finally did shoot on and when you finally get to the locations, did you have like, you know, you're crafting natural light in a lot of situations. Yes. What did you shoot the, the film on and, and why? Like what kind of lenses and what camera package? Just yeah. of, did you decide once you were there? Did you test stuff once you were there? No, I kind of knew. Well, I wanted we wanted to shoot film. But it just wasn't possible in terms of where we were and the way that Martin likes to shoot. He likes to keep the camera running. And we did a lot of testing on film and then worked out how I was going to get it to... Because film, you develop it, you print it, it comes out and it looks great. So, but then the digital, you get it there and he goes, well, it doesn't look as good as the film, so how do we make it? So there was a lot of that exercise went on. In terms of shooting, you know, there is quite a lot of interiors, obviously, in the film which we shot, the, yeah. which we shot, which I lit. But... But in terms of the natural light sequences, I always try and shape natural light. So what I try and do is, what I don't do is work against the light source. The light source, I'm never going to, you know, if it's beautiful soft light, I don't try and overpower that with hard sunlight because I'm never going to do it as beautifully as nature can give you. Mm. But what I can do is shape the shadow. So I bring a lot, I use a lot of negative, large, black frames that come in close to try and create shape and contrast. So I try and take the light source, whatever that is, whether it's the sunlight or it's cloudy, embrace that and then try and work with it and try and mold it to my will, which doesn't yeah. always, doesn't always <laughs> work, but that's, that's the kind of idea. You mentioned sorry, the... And back the to, sorry, I got I, back to the equipment. So we shot um, oh, yeah. Alexa LF and we shot with Signature Primes. The reason for those lenses, and so you, you may have read this before, I, I wanted a quite sharp, flat lens that didn't, I didn't want that sort of anamorphic falling away at the edges where everything goes to mush on the periphery, which can be right for many things, but it didn't, wasn't what I, I wanted to. So the landscape, when you shoot a landscape, right, it's sharp from the camera forward and you read all the textures of the ground. You've got those walls and the grass and the ocean. You read it all. So when I cut to it from that to a close-up, I kind of wanted the close-ups to be, I wanted to read all the texture in the faces. I didn't want them to fall off to, you know, where you get sharp eyes and the uh, rest of the yes. face falls away. I didn't yes. want that because I felt that was going to work against everything else, you know. You wanted them to be the faces in the landscapes to exist in the same visual universe. Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah, you put that a lot better than I did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just summarized. And in fewer but words. When you talked about something specific here that, that really interests me, as you said, you shoot film, it looks great, like you get it back and process, but then with digital, you're like, okay, how do we get it where we want it to be? Can you tell us about the process of that, like, we sh you shoot, you know, you know what your digital, you're on a digital format and Ari does a lot of stuff amazingly well, like skin tone. And then you're like, here's how I want to, here's what I want to do to alter it, to get our look for this. You know, like what were the yeah. things that you did as a team that were like, okay, we're going to well, change this or that, or, you know. Okay. Well, basically, I mean, I find that, you know, people say lighting digital, you know, it must be much easier now. Lighting, you know, now you've got digital, there's no, you don't have to, you don't have to, that sort of concern of things being processed and where you exposed it. There's a technical side that's been removed. 
mm-hmm. and a risk. I would argue that digital's, you know, with film, you can smash a light through a window and uh, let it bounce around the room, photograph it, it look great. You do that with <laughs> digital, it's not always going to look great. You know, you right. have to work harder. To make it, you, you know, anyone can shoot digital because you you, you, you you got your exposure there on the monitor. You, you know, it's hard to get it wrong, but to make it look great is another thing, you know, and you have to work a little harder, I think, with digital than you do with film. Um, you've got to put a bit more groundwork into it in order to get it. So to get the, the digital to look like film, we had a, a, a pretty good lot, but then we did quite a lot of work with color in terms of costume, you know, where we went with, you know, I wanted these sort of saturate certain colors like reds and things like that. So, so that were happened in, in costume and set design. So we did that. So we just did it say, well, all right. So he's got a red jumper on. Let's make that a deeper red than we would normally go. And let's, all right, there's a yellow walls in Colm's house. Let's, let's, let's pull those a little. Let's make them a little more colorful. Let's try and blend, you know, so we did a lot of work with color to get us into the film world. And then we did a lot of work. In post, we did a, we did a, you know, in order to get that sort of lovely softness around the hard edges you get in video, we did a, we did a digital to film neg and then back to digital. Ah, yeah. Okay. Which is not, you know, I'm not unique in saying that, you know, that's been my invention that, but I love it. Yeah. No, that. Great phrase. You dropped a couple of, of really valuable things there. One that the Mm -hmm. idea of using what's practical to create the look, you know, what you can control in terms of your color palette, but also you have to work harder. I think people think that because anyone can shoot it, oh, anyone can shoot it. It'll look, you can get an image with film. You might not get an image if you you don't light it the right way or light it at all, but that doesn't, to make it look great and to sell that cinematic quality that we expect, it does seem like it takes quite a bit more. When you, when you all, when you all discussed the color palette, what were there certain decisions and rules that were like, we want this to be this kind of world or we want these colors, but we don't want any of these colors where there was there a general like decision making about just what this world would, how it would be experienced color wise. Yeah. Well, first of all, we had, design to, we had to have, you know, the, the colors had to be relevant to dyes and colors that were available at that period. period so yes. you, you, yeah. you had to, you had to lean into the period, but Martin from the very beginning, was very specific. He said, I want color in my film. I do not want this to be some gray drab representation of Ireland that I've seen before because that's not the Ireland that I know. So he was very, very specific about that. So, you know, there were, you know, but they, we had to be true to the colors that could have been around. They're slightly, it's a slightly modern take on that. You know, it's, it's an old favor. It, what I like about this film, it seems to me, it's a very old story. It feels like an old fable. Mm. Did I ever, you know, it feels like you go into a pub in Ireland once. Did I ever tell you about the two guys I knew yeah. who lived on the sharing? And yeah. some guy could sit there with you for an hour and you could drink a whiskey and he could tell you that story. That's what yeah. it feels like. But we wanted, you know, you're also bringing it to a slightly more modern audience and we can't. So it seems like to me, it's like a, Although it's really, there's nothing in there that's modern. It feels like a modern take on an old fable of sorts. Yeah, I see what you're saying. There's a, yeah, the the color thing, it's funny because there's a trend, I think, in general of desaturation and, and less color. And Ireland mm. seems like, is, even though it's the Emerald Isle, and I keep thinking about like the quiet man, like these brightly green, technicolor greens mm. is like part of what it's known for. 
but we see it so often desaturated. What is, do you just approach every film in terms of those things? Like it's an individual set of decisions. We're going to make it based on the script. Or do you have preferences of like I, what I really want to do every time I'm shooting is, you know? No, I'd, every for me, every film is different and it's completely fresh approach for every film. I mean, having said that, you know, I'm sure that I end up repeating myself, but not deliberate. I mean, you can't help it in a way, I suppose you have a way you do things. But I try not, I, I try to take every film on its own merit and every film, therefore, visually could be its own thing. I, you know, that's how, I, I, how I'd like to work. I mean, I think if you do something for long enough, you do end up repeating yourself. That's why I'm kind of, I always trying to look for projects or directors or subject matter that I haven't shot before, you know, or something that's going to take me out of a comfort zone of some, in some way. I yeah, want to I do mean, things. That- your career has so many of those examples, and I'm thinking again of just like uh, not too many years ago, but but Cry Macho and Clint Eastwood, like in the middle of of all these other kinds yeah. of films. Like, what was that? You know, what <laughs> yeah. was the, what, what, what's that like? What's it like to shoot? for Clint Eastwood and what like, you know, the oh. career he's had and all the things that he's done and the the influences that come to the table there, you're playing in a pretty big sandbox, <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, well, Clint, I mean, he's a legend, isn't he? I mean, and his work, you know, you look at Clint's body of work is extraordinary. And yeah, I was really nervous when I first met Clint. Because for me, he was such a part of my life. He was a lovely man. You know, he has crew members with him who have been with him for 40 years. You know, he was a, <laughs> grit, grit, a grit Charlie. And he told me how he'd been up in the perms when they were shooting Psycho. He was older than Clint, I think. But, you know, he, he was still there working with Clint. And I think that's testimony to the man, you know. That the same people, they absolutely love and adore him, his crew. Yeah. And as soon as I saw that, I thought, oh, I'm good hands here. Yeah. <laughs> you, don't, you don't get that. You know, yeah. if you get, you don't get that unless you're a director who's got, oh, are you still there? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I lost yeah. You. you don't get that unless you're, unless you're a, a decent human being and a nice man. I think you, you, you don't keep your crew. Yeah. No, that seems to be true historically. When you think about the landscape and how much it's changing between the streaming platforms, between the digital medium, you know, the, like cinematography for someone looking to get in or trying to kind of make their mark, what do you think are the important things to focus on or, or ways in or opportunities? I know it's a completely different world, but I'm yeah. always curious because you kind of see from the inside and, and you work with so many different crews, you know. And people I, think, I think, I think, I mean, it depends where you are on your, you know, where, where that person is on their journey. If they're at the very beginning of that journey, I think, I think in a way, the way in is easier than it was. It was very tough when I was younger and very few, you know, there's a lot more people coming up now from different, you, there was a very set route up and you couldn't, you know, when I, I was a clapper loader and then, a, you know, and that was actually, uh, a focus pro and an operator. And that was actually an unusual, wasn't a usual route. A lot of people came straight out of, you know, art college, you know, you, 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 there was a more sort of highbrow route in, as opposed to coming through the crew when I was younger. And that's not always the case, but that was part of it. But I think now, you know, for people starting out, it's just shit. I tried to shoot whatever I could. 
you know, whenever yeah. I could get the opportunity, I didn't care what it was. It was an industrial, a pop video. Yeah. I, 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 you know, it didn't, as long as I was shooting something. And, you know, and then I would turn down when I was like clap a loader and I was shooting stuff, I would turn down a feature film if I had three days of something that I could DP, yeah. <laughs> you know. So it was really that. And now I think it's easier to shoot, you know, then, you know, for me to shoot stuff myself was very difficult because you had to get it processed. It was expensive, you know. You had to then be to edit it. You needed the machinery to do it. You had to go into an edit room somewhere. So I think I think it's that part's easier. I think in terms of choosing what once you're on that road and you're shooting stuff, I think it's the thing is to to be open. One thing I learned really early on was not to don't go in with an ego. You know, don't go in sort of saying that you think you know. You know, when you get you work with your, it's all about working with directors, right? So when you go in and work with your director, don't, don't go in with an ego. Go in, you know, because I learned really on early on, right? So I, I worked with the director when I was very young. I and we went to shoot a scene, and he wanted to shoot a certain way, and I didn't think it was the right way to shoot it, to shoot it at all. And I thought, what's he talking about? He, you know, this guy had done very little before. I'd shot, you know, I hadn't done a great deal, but I thought I had, you know, but, and I was like really upset about it. And we, I know, you know, we didn't get into a row about it and, and we shot it his way. And I remember seeing it in the film and it was absolutely brilliant. And it was a huge <laughs> eye opener for me because I, I suddenly, because when he did it, it was so a, a ba- ass about face the way we shot. <laughs> what, is, what are we doing? And it was absolutely brilliant. And I remember thinking, right. Well, there you go. There's a huge lesson for you. Just because it's not your way and just because you, you know, you know, because new voices and new talents emerge continually, don't they? You know, who have a unique vision, you know, and yeah, yeah that was, that was the only thing that would be my best if you are, she is to be open, you know. Yeah. That's a good one though. And I, again, I think it's reflective in your work because you've been on all kinds of things. So you can adjust to whatever the vision is and find your, you know, your flaw yeah. within it. But that, yeah, there are just so many ways of doing it now. So I, yeah. I love that advice. Well, thank you so much for taking the time today. I really appreciate it. My um, pleasure. Lovely to meet you. Yeah. Cheers, yes. George. Have a great weekend and uh, congrats <laughs> right, on the film. It's incredible. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks, Ben, for coming on the podcast. Uh, you can see Banshees of Inishirin in theaters, which you should do if you can. But wherever you see it, I'm pretty sure you're going to find the visuals to be stunning and the movie to be impressive. And it's going to be, I think, a big part of the coming awards cycles. Not that that should determine whether or not we value a movie or see it, but certainly it's one people are going to talk about. And for good reason, the work is pretty incredible. Uh, you can check out so much more about filmmaking at nofilmschool.com, and we encourage you to do so. Please be sure to subscribe to this podcast and leave a comment and let us know what you think. Send your questions to editor at nofilmschool.com. Questions about the world of filmmaking, the movies you've seen, the things you want to try and do, sometimes updates on what you are doing. You never know. We might want to get a guest post from you. We're always looking for filmmakers to contribute to our site because No Film School is, after all, by filmmakers for filmmakers. So that means you're a part of the process as much as we are or anyone is. Again, thanks so much for listening.